Welcome to My Life, Chassidus Applied, episode 341. This program is uh, lovingly dedicated to the beautiful memory of Yehuda Dukes, Chaim Shneer Zalman Yehuda Ben Adam Leib, who uh, was tragically torn away from us far, far too early. This program and many of our subsequent programs will be dedicated to perpetuating his powerful work and legacy. Today is Yud Aleph Shvat, a day after Yud Shvat, 70th anniversary, 70 years from when the Rebbe first said, Maimur Basar Lagani, Tavshin Yud Aleph. The Rebbe put special emphasis on the day of 11th Shvat, because it's the day after Yud Shvat, the first full day of the Rebbe's official Nesiyas. Official, unofficial, whatever that means, but we know the Histalkus, the passing of the Friedrich Rebbe was in Tovshin Yud, on Yud Shvat, Shabbos Pashabai Yud Shvat. The Rebbe assumed leadership immediately, but officially, officially, it was a year later when he said the Maimur Basilegani Yud Shvat Tovshin Yud Aleph. So today is a day after, and Yud Aleph has a special significance with the Rebbe, of course, Yud Aleph Nissen. In a very powerful Sicha, Chav Beis Shvat Tovshin Nun Beis, the Rebbe explains Yud, Yud Aleph, Chav Beis, the Rebbe's Yard site is twice Yud Aleph. It has three different stages. Yud is the Shlemus of holiness, Kedusha. Yud Aleph is going beyond, like power of Bligvul. Chav Beis is double that. So this day has special significance. And of course, it's also the week of this week will also be Tubishvat. And Pasha's Beshalach as we go into the next Shabbos. This whole week is Pasha's Beshalach. So, as our custom, we begin discussing something from connected to these dates. So, last week we focused, it was a special edition focusing on Yutzvat and Basilegani. I did receive a lot of good feedback. I say good feedback, all feedback is good, I should say, but a lot of positive feedback. One person writes, I really thank you for deciphering and applying. Peter Kyr Aleph, the 11th chapter, the 11th chapter, which of course, again, 11 corresponds to this year's year that, uh, that uh, Peter Kyr Aleph in the Hemshech Basilegani. You really brought it alive, and I really appreciate that. Thank you. I received many similar comments, and of course, this chapter that we've just learning, which sets the tone for the year, is the Midas Hanetzachen, basically. The, need, the power of Netzachen to be victorious over our enemies, in this case our spiritual enemies, the entire material world that defies the divine, and, uh, the divine revelation. So when we go out into the battle, into the spiritual battle of transforming this world, we get the deepest resources, the most powerful resources, the treasures that were concealed for generations upon generations which in spiritual terms means that we get the deepest levels of atzimus from the core essence of the divine itself to fight this battle and to triumph. triumph. And of course the goal of it is, David, as the Rebbe brings in the Maimur, is to bring the Mashiach, to bring Geula, which really means to putting an end to the, all the concealments, to, this, to the dissonance and the disconnect of this universe from God, and bringing Bosa Legani, Achesi Kala, Legani, Lignuni, 
the Shechina B'Tachtenim Hoysa, that the Shechina should be here permanently, forever, totally seamless, divine revelation of the divine essence in Tachtenim, in this lowest of worlds. And that's the theme. So it gives us power, it gives us courage, it gives us encouragement to march forward and finish this battle. The Pashas B'Shalach, we find, as the Jews leave Mitzrayim, and of course, Sivas Hashem is the theme of this week's, uh, of, 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 this, of these week's Pashas, is also the theme of Basilegani, especially in these chapters, that the Tzivah Savaya, the army of Hashem, the Jews as they're called an army, soldiers, are the ones that are giving these, given these resources. So in their march out of Egypt, which began last week's Pasha, boy, they continue now, Vahi and now they arrive in this chapter to the Red or Reed Sea. Suddenly they realize that the Egyptians are pursuing them. So they're stuck between a rock and a hard place which of course reflects all our challenges in life, where sometimes you feel stuck, you don't know which way to go. So we're told, Yerushalmi tells us that the Jewish people broke into four groups. One group said, surrender. Look what's happening. We left Egypt, it was a nice idea. Let's surrender, go back to Egypt. At least we'll have the known evil. Yes, we'll be slaves, but at least we will be comfortable in our misery, so to speak. Another group said, no, let's go to war. We'll go to war with the Egyptians. A third group said, let's pray to God for salvation. And the fourth group said, no, let's nipple beyond, let's jump into the sea. Let's take our lives because there's no future, there's no past, there's no returning, there's no war. So seemingly they covered all the bases. So Moshe turns to God and says, so what should we do? Hashem says, Vai you sow. I told you what to do. For you so move forward, forge ahead. I told you, you take them out of Egypt. You're marching towards Sinai, and then you're marching toward the promised land. And in between, you'll build the Mishkan. So you were told what to do. Why, why, why are you philosophizing? And what happens? Yes, they forge ahead. Nachshem Benadavan takes the lead, and the water parts. The lesson to us is, sometimes people think they have to fight. That's life, becomes a war, a war with adversity. Others feel surrender, resignation. Others escape into religion. Prayer, God will take care of everything. And finally, those that, that resign themselves, a different type of resignation, of giving up, let's just take, end our lives. None of these are acceptable. Yes, prayer has value, but not as an end in itself. Do what I told you to. Action. Move forward. There's something about action. These four, at the end of the day, they got paralyzed. First of all, they couldn't determine which one. And even if they could, who's going to take the lead? You end up arguing, and the bottom line is you end up staying in one place. If I so, move forward. I, you don't see how it's going to open up. Things happen when action breeds action. Every action has a reaction. Whether it will be a miracle or it will be a natural thing, something will open up. That's what movement does. So in the context of this chapter, Yud Aleph, 11, Ibasiligani, we're fighting a battle. We all have our battles. It could be collective, it could be individual, it could be personal. 
We're going to be talking soon about that theme of betachem trust in times of challenge where you feel things aren't working. It could be a tragedy, it could be a trauma, it could be personal paralysis, fears, insecurities, you name it. It could be real, it could be imagined. But it has a power over us. We're told, so, And Bizbuz Eid says, God will send you all the treasures and resources you need. The truth is, we have them already. But just forge ahead. A soldier must forge ahead. We're 26 years from Gimel Thomas. You could say, hey, nothing has happened. Well, at least Mashiach hasn't come yet. What should we do? What else can we do? We meet the forge ahead. We can't get caught up in questions and in confusion and in doubts. Yes, we need to get together and strategize. But there's no such thing as impossible. There's no such thing as giving up. There's no such thing as resignation and surrender. There's no escape into prayer, battle, or just ending it all. No. Why you so? One word. Tu Bishvat teaches us a similar lesson. Tu Bishvat is Rosh Hashanah Lielonis. Ki Odam Eitz HaSodah. So there's the positive lesson we learn from that, that we are compared to Eitz Asad. What do you see about a tree? It's always alive. It's always growing. It's always moving forward. Yes, it needs roots to ground it. Roots to sustain it. But as such, it's always growing in all directions. As a matter of fact, the tree grows in two opposite directions. It goes down, downward at roots and upward as it branches out and expands. We need to be the tzemeach. Mina tzemeach and a tree, Elon, captures it in the most powerful way because it's not just a small shrub. It's a full-grown tree. We need to be trees that reach to the heavens themselves. And there are trees that go very high up. The redwoods, the sequoias, demonstrating that power of growth. Always moving forward, always growing. The human being, life itself, is mobile. It's fluid. We're not, made to be, we're not created to be couch potatoes. We're not created to be static. Everything is movement. The heartbeat, the breath. It's consistent movement. Every, pulsating energy, which we know today there's no such thing as inanimate. The human being, unfortunately, can try to master the art of doing nothing, of slowing down. But by nature, we are growing entities. And as such, no matter what comes our way, what happens when a tree meets an obstacle? It continues growing. You look outside, sometimes you see the trees planted, let's say in New York, by the pavement. Ultimately, they prevail over the pavement, over the concrete. You see the, the roots breaking through the very the concrete, the cement. Because a tree knows only one thing, growth. You try to contain it, it will ultimately break through. Yes, you may cause the tree to have to get around a wall, but it will continue to grow, it will ultimately break down any tree. I'm sorry, any tree will break down any obstacle impediment. Why you so? <clears throat> That's the lesson. It's a very simple but extremely powerful and potent force in our lives. It means that every day you need to make a movement. You need to move. Now you say, well, what happens if I move and I fail? Movement is better, even if you fail, than paralysis. Because then you learn from that, from a setback. When you're wandering in the woods, when you're lost, no movement is not the solution. Now you could say, well, if I move more, I can get lost further. But if you don't move at all, you may never find your way. 
So obviously you try to strategize, you do everything possible with your mind and your heart to figure out which way to move. But movement is a necessity. And you will see, the first step to all growth and healing is that first move. Speak to someone, break the silence, don't allow yourself to be isolated, frozen, and paralyzed. That's a vital lesson in everything in life, and especially when we're addressing the mission that the Rebbe gave us 70 years ago. Bossi Lagani, the Deirashvi, the seventh generation, the Bizbuza Eitzis, the, the splurging of the treasures on all levels that gives us all the strength we need, even though we, may be, we are simple foot soldiers. But when you march forward, you get strength and doors open. We've seen it time again. The whole shlichus is built on that. Shluchim went out. They went out with Kabbalah cell. They didn't know all the challenges, all the difficulties, financial and others. They forged ahead. Look what happened. People can't even believe it. Many of the shluchim will tell you, when I went, I didn't expect to be what I became. I went. The Rebbe said to go. The Rebbe said we'll be successful. We'll raise money. But it wasn't easy. But you saw. And look what happens. You, you change a world, you change people, you change communities, you transform your environment. We have that ability, but it only works when we forge ahead. It never works when you just philosophize, when you just think of theories, or you go with rational approach. So not suggesting not to be rational, but we need super, super rational. Shtus de Gedusha, going beyond the norm. And then you have a bizbuza eitzis, with the king himself putting himself on the line, and the splurging of the deepest treasures, which are also beyond rational. Because the rational, you give as much treasures, you give as much money, you give as much resources as you need. But not when you go with that midas hanetzachim, that need to, tri- to triumph, that determination, that unwavering commitment. That's the central theme of this Yudshvat, as well as reinforced by Parshas B'Shalach and Tu B'Shvat. So this is a good opportunity to just some cross-reference. We have a full, robust website called chassidahsupply.com where you can find this program and all the 340 episodes, plus the essays and the creative submissions over six years. So thousands of submissions you can find from people like us who applied themselves to take an idea and address a, a contemporary issue or challenge. And other resources, including on Hemshachayim Beis, which I teach every morning. You can find the contact information there, how to join by Zoom, by YouTube, or by phone, as well as Samachvov and other materials. So cross-referencing the topic of Tu B'Shvar and B'Shalach, I'd like to refer you to episodes... 54, 100, 149, 198, 199, 245, 295, and 296. So, perfect segue into questions that always come in, but especially lately with the COVID, including with the unfortunate tragic death of Yehuda Dukes, and other tragedies that people are going through. The Hoyle should bless us all to only have Teva Nirva Nigla. Only Simchis were revealed in a complete, beautiful way, be able to march straight into the Gul. But we have our questions and challenges. So I think it's appropriate, especially we talk about Midas HaNetzachim, in the battles of our lives, 
whatever that battle may take, whatever shape that battle may take on, that's appropriate to talk about questions like that. So though there are many such questions, they come and they've been coming in over the years because this is maybe the biggest issue everyone has struggles with. How do I deal with my struggles? How do I maintain betochen? So we have a whole slew of questions that came in recently and over, the to- over time. And again, if you have any questions, just submit them at chassidahsupply.com, a perfectly and totally anonymous forum where you can submit any question Protect your identity. If you want to share, if you want, con- if you want to give us your contact info for whatever reason, you can do that, but you don't need to. And frankly, I prefer not to because I like to read these questions. That way everyone's protected. We can talk about the topic without concern of other, um, other distractions. So a whole bunch of questions. I'll try to address as many as I can. I also want to continue the discussions about parents and children teens. There's also some follow-up about the polarization of this country. And uh, yes, we have plenty to address. That which I cannot cover in this program will continue in the coming programs. Many of you have asked questions and you may be wondering whether they'll be addressed. They will be addressed. I've already addressed questions from a year ago. Some backup, but please bear with me. We'll address every question that comes in. Just we have to just balance it. So I try to Sometimes gather the questions under a theme. Here we have the theme of betochen, especially in the era of COVID. So I'm just going to go straight through the questions. And this is a very blunt question, which I don't feel comfortable reading. But I will because somebody wrote that. Can we curse God when our friends and community members die of COVID? So the truth is, I would edit that word curse to angry. Can we be angry at God? when our friends and community members die of COVID. Because cursing God is a very uh, serious thing, and even anger at God. So let's talk about this for a moment. Now, why would we get angry at God? Because God created life, of course, and we expect God to bless us with life, and with blessings, and long life, and health. So when we see something doesn't work out like that, especially if it's a good person, I mean, everybody's a good person in a certain way, and there were prayers said, so we, there's a certain, frankly, a certain element of being upset and even angry. Where is God? The Jews were very upset and angry at what happened at the Holocaust. Where is God when innocent people are suffering? Where are all the promises that you said you'll be good to us, you'll give us health and, and parnosa and livelihood and success? So, of course, when it comes to death, it's more pronounced. But any issue that doesn't work out the way we would like it to work out it would seem to be, why can't we you know, maybe angry? Again, I don't want to use the word that was used here. I just read it because the person wrote that word just to demonstrate, I guess, the deep frustration. So this is not an issue about God. God is a secure God. and is not, well, I'm not concerned about God getting insulted or being disturbed because we may be chutzpah to him. Like the famous story, one of the Rebbes, one of the Haredish Rebbes came to the Friedrich Rebbe during World War II in the 40s and began to explain why the Holocaust was happening. It was a punishment. Defending God. Punishment for the Jews, not doing what they should be doing. Friedrich Rebbe stopped this Rebbe and Rov and said to him, please, God doesn't need an advocate. You don't need to defend God. What does that mean? Sounds like a very faithful thing to do, to defend God. God doesn't need an advocate. Moshe already told us in the beginning of this Sefer Shmoy, the beginning of this Sefer Chumash that we just read. Why are you doing evil to these people? 
He doesn't even say why you're allowing Pharaoh and the Egyptians to do it. He blames God. And he gets a chilek for it. He gets uh, chastised for that. And yet he said it, and it's documented till this day. And Avram did similarly when he pointed a finger, an accusing finger at God, and says, Hashafet kolaretz that leyasa mishpat. People will say when you destroy Sdaim, the judge of the universe is not doing justice. We've discussed this. Faith is not a contradiction to arguing with God. On the contrary, when you really believe in God and God's goodness, you're going to stand up for it. You're going to fight because you know God is good. That's why we pray when someone's, God forbid, in a hospital and not well. Why do we make a pray for a full shleim and make a mishabedach? Could just say, hey, whatever God says is right. Faith doesn't dictate passivity. Remember, Vayiso, faith dictates movement. <clears throat> so then how do we answer this issue? So I can understand, we're all sensitive, especially if it's a close one, you see a tragedy, you see someone die, leaving a wife and children, other tragedies like that. Of course we cry out. It's not human not to cry out. And we turn to God. But what, here's the key thing to remember. We need God more than God needs us. So in a way, to say something blasphemous about God, or even anger, though I understand a child is yelling to its parent and says, I'm really upset, I'm really angry. But we need God, especially in times like this. So you don't want to push God away. The cry to God, even the anger, that Moshe said, it wasn't to push God away, it was to evoke the your children are suffering. Look at them. God said, let's come down and see what's happening. He has to come down. But there's something that we can do, we can evoke through tefillah, that Hashem should engage more. Remember, He's with us in it. But we want Him to reveal Himself in our pain. Be with us and show us and give us strength to get through this. That's the real cry. It's not about pushing God away. So obviously, listen, we're, we can be little children and we kick and scream and we can yell at our parents. But you want to reach to a sophisticated argument with God, so to speak. You want God to be with you, to give the strength to this family who suffered, to make sure it doesn't happen again. Now you say, why did God have to do it? This is not in our domain. We will never understand why. Because if you ask that question, then you have to ask the question, why did God create you in the first place? Hashem says to Eve, Job, says, you ask me these questions, why people suffer, why innocent people suffer. Do you ask me why people are born? Were you there when I created heaven and earth? Death? You ask about death, why don't you ask about birth? You ask about pain, why don't you ask about joy? It's all part of that bigger mystery. But we don't usually ask the question when things are going well. That doesn't mean we don't have a right to challenge and ask. But we have to remember, if there is a God, and I say if, let's take that, that the, the skeptical tone. If there is a God, God is the creator of it all. And there's a deeper story going on. The narrative is not over yet. So if you're angry at God, that means you believe there's a God and you expect justice. You expect God to live up to his promises. And the answer is he will live up to his promises. The fact that we don't see it, what do we see already? We're small little creatures. We don't even know what the big horizon is like. We can't even understand most of the human body. 
Take the human brain, how much do we know of it? What about the cosmos, outer space? There's so little we know about life. So let's not convince ourselves like we know it all figured out and the only thing that's missing is why they're suffering. It's part of the big mystery, yes, big mystery. And of course we pray and we believe, we believe in God's goodness and we believe the goodness will prevail. We do not have an answer why tragedies happen. But we know one thing, that we don't lay down and die and we don't sink. So we move forward with the strength from God, even though we may be angry at God. God gives us that strength to forge ahead. And we've seen it in history as the Jews forged ahead and they prevailed. Even through the harshest of times, the 210 years of a bitter exile in Egypt, the years of the Holocaust, look what we lost. But we forged ahead. That's how we approach it. And that also comes from strength from God. So in a paradoxical way, yes, you want to have a complaint? Complaint. Cry out. But let it be sincere, not just a childish, immature, say, you know, why, why am I not getting what I want? It should be with the language, I expect you, God, because you told me that goodness prevails. You told us that we should sacrifice our lives and do whatever possible to do good, even when it's not always easy. So we expect the same from you. It's a partnership. It's coming from love. When you love someone, you expect from them. It's not coming from a child, immature, just kicking God because, okay, great, we have a scapegoat, blame it all on God. Now that takes work. That's the work of betachem. So that's my response to you in this question. So following the next questions, which all go in this vein. Dear Rabbi, how do you explain that betachem and amunah sometimes, how do you explain that betachem and amunah sometimes apparently don't bring the promised results? More specifically, with regards to the passing of Rabbi Duke, Salav HaShalom. How come that all the betoch and amunah and achdu shown by everyone, especially those close to him, didn't bring the promised result of revealed good? Thanks. Thank you. Thanks. I don't have an answer. Let's put it quite bluntly. I don't have an answer. That still does not mean that we should not have done goodness and continue to do goodness and achdus. The story is not over. The neshama continues on. Yes, it's a tragedy. There's no answer to it. But what we must do is connect even more than ever to each other, commit even more than ever to goodness. Now I know someone can say, well, I'm giving up. I did whatever I can. But it doesn't work that way. Our connection, our values, when you children, who you love, talk if you're a parent that has children, you love your children, your children disappoint you. They do something you don't like. So what do you do? You give up on them? God forbid. They're always going to be your children. The same thing the other way around. You may not understand why God did this. We definitely don't understand. But we don't give up on what we believe in. Is our belief based only on when it works out our way? As the famous story with Mrs. Waxman in Israel when her son was killed by the terrorists and all the prayers, after all the prayers, so one of the cynics asked her, so what happened with all the prayers? She calmly said, you know, we prayed to God. God heard our prayers. And his answer was no. You don't give up on the truths, such absolute truths. Now, someone whose God is only based on, I have a God only when it works out my way. You tell me what kind of God that is. It's like someone saying, unconditional love. I once asked some, a guy, I said, do you have, you know what unconditional love is? He was having issues with his spouse. Do you have unconditional love? Yeah, he says, of course I do. If my wife did A, B, C, D, E, F, G, I don't know how many conditions he, described, he, he enumerated, then I would have unconditional love. Great. 
Unconditional love is not some irrational commitment. It's because you believe in something. That belief is not shaken. It's shaken, and technically it can be shaken. So we're going to stop believing in good and love and kindness and unity and good deeds because something didn't work out the way we, the way we wanted. On the contrary, that's the healthy person doubles and triples the efforts when something like that happens because we believe that we will prevail. And if not today, tomorrow. If not tomorrow, the next day. That's the essential belief of Mashiach. Is it difficult? Of course it's difficult. I see people suffering. You know, you want to tear the heavens apart of what people go through. And then you see that dignity that they have. Others are broken, and I'm not here to judge anybody. We're just talking, we're all in this together, trying to find strength from each other, how to get through things like this. But that's the approach. By you so. We move forward. I, we don't understand exactly what's going to happen. Yes, we don't. Life is a lot of mysteries ahead of us. But we do not give up, and we do not surrender. We don't escape, and we don't avoid. We forge ahead. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I'm hoping you can help me understand what betochen in Hashem is. We know that world history and Jewish history is replete with evil and tragedy. We've seen it on a grand scale in the 20th century and even now in the 21st century. Often, at least in the short term, and in this world, evil, in the short term and in this world, evil, evil wins and evil people prevail. Even when good prevails on the macro level, many people are often harmed on the micro level, with no happy ending visible to us. People are murdered or harmed. Thieves get away with theft and so on. So certainly betachin can't mean that we trust everything will be hunky-dory, i.e. satisfactory and pleasant here in this world. Does it simply mean that we trust that whatever happens is Hashem's will? Yes, we believe that everything is Hashem's will, but we also believe that Hashem is good and goodness will always emerge and will always prevail. And even something that be completely negative ultimately has a goodness that will come from it. Not that that thing itself is good. There are things that are absolutely evil that need to be eradicated and prevented in any possible way. But the overall picture, the narrative, the story, and how it impacts us is an overall good. We wish we could see it on a micro level, personally, in a revealed way. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. Life is definitely a lot better today than it was 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago. That doesn't mean there, isn't, there aren't tragedies, there aren't setbacks. But overall, the trajectory, the world is a better place. For the Jewish people, unprecedented how we can send our children to any school we wish. We can serve God. We can worship any way we wish. Are there challenges? Yes, many different challenges, of course. So this is the ultimate battle of life, that we have a world, a dark world, cheshach kafla mechupel, a double darkness, a world where you can have, where you do have hostility, enemies, adversaries that challenge us. It's a battle. Yet, Bosilagani, we know beneath the battle is really a garden waiting to be revealed. And the battle is to remove the concealment that doesn't allow us to see that garden, that seamless connection between the Shekhinah and existence between divine purpose and the existence to living up to that purpose. 
So we fight the battle. And we forge ahead by your soul. We move forward. And we're given all the strengths we need. You'll say, you don't always see those strengths? Look closer. You'll see people who suffer greatly to have those deeper strengths. And we move forward. So I know I may be repeating myself, but I'm reading different questions and I have plenty more where that comes from. I believe, let me, I'm going I'm to go through a few more. Why not? Because this seems to be a very important topic. So let's address it. And we'll, uh, like anyone else in the wor- this world, another person writes, I struggle with my own set of struggles. But I feel that my struggles have led me to, pessimist- to a pessimistic relationship with God. I feel that my relationship with God lacks full trust and that attracts bad energy. I would appreciate your guidance on the matter. I know, believe that everything is for our good. I feel grateful to God for all the good that I have. I pray that I merit to receive revealed good. But the trust that I will, based on my circumstances, are skeptical. Please help. So now let's go over to, so what can we do to strengthen betachem? So a few things. The Rebbe suggests learning Shara betachem in Cheves Alavovis. That strengthens betachem. Learning Chassidus. Learning about your Neshama. Because the fact of the matter is when we experience any darkness, any challenge, that consumes us, especially our emotions and our mind. What, could, what would have been, what could have been, what could I have done, why? Anger at God, a lot of lot of energy going in, except it's negative energy. When you learn about neshama things, when you learn what's a neshama? It's pure. You protect it. You protect my soul even in the world where we need a lot of protection. By learning these ideas in Chassidus, including the Shara B'tochem from Cheves HaLavavis, it puts your mind, starting with your mind, your cognitive faculties, it conditions them to think about things that are more sublime, more light, more spiritual. Does that take away the pain? It doesn't, but it allows you to recalibrate, to reframe your experience to look at it from a different perspective. So the more you can saturate yourself, your mind, which will ultimately impact your emotions, with spiritual ideas, with ruchnis, with chassidus, with inyanim of hashgacha pratis, the divine purpose. So number one, it takes away some of the energy that's going into the negative. Number two, it's giving you energy in the positive. What are the good things in my life? What can I do to forge ahead, to vayu so? And ultimately affects our emotions as well. That's how it is. The mind affects our emotions. Where your mind is, as, the, as your neurons are fired, that's how they get wired. And they affect your emotions and ultimately your behavior. It may not be immediate, may not be direct, but overall, when your mind is able to go into a calmer place and is not so consumed by the trauma and the grief, it spills over. And your feelings ultimately get soothed and calmed. So that's the number one thing I would advise. Number two is always be involved in helping other people. Even when you're not in the mood of it. 
actions have great power. Hadeus v'alavovus helech achra metzius, achra meisim. Actions tend to also draw with them your mind and your feelings. Just helping another. You say you're not in the mood. You help the other, something happens. It generates an energy. So cognitive conditioning, behavioral conditioning. And in between comes emotional conditioning. What's emotional conditioning? Learn to say a capital tilim properly. Tavn. Emote. Cry to God. Cry to others that you trust and feel close to. There's nothing wrong with emoting. Express yourself. Express your positive feelings. Express even your negative feelings. The Pasuk says, if your heart is anxious, concerned, yasichena. Says the Gemara, what's yasichena? One from the word speak about it, from the word sicha. Speak, release, express. A mentor, a friend. And the second interpretation is from the word distract yourself. Ask the Rebbe Marash, speaking about it and distracting yourself seem to contradict each other. When you speak, you're not distracting. He says, no, when you speak, you release it from yourself. So you're not so being eaten up by it and consumed by it. You've released it to another. You've released the energy. So it helps you distract yourself. These are some of the methods. There are many others, but that's a good beginning. And we'll talk about this as more as we go over the weeks. Okay. The next two questions deals with teenagers and children in the same regard. And I believe I should deal with that. I'll deal with that next week. Because it deserves its own conversation. How to speak to teenagers about betochen. And how to speak to children about when things don't work out as we expected. When our tefillahs seemingly were not answered. So this deserves more time, and I'll dedicate time to it to next week. And then there's another question about the obligation of non-Jews to have betachin. So all this will be part of next week's discussion. I think I covered enough of this for this week. Well, you can never say enough. This topic is never enough. So, but for now, we'll... Okay. Another question, which comes back from previous episodes, is about... Parents and children. So we began talking about this a few weeks ago, about the effect parents have and how do you reconcile and what do you deal with abuse and about parents who may not care about our, humanly about us, only about our religious beliefs. So we spoke about that. So plenty of more questions came in on that regard. And I will address at least, um, let me just see what we have here to cover here. Yeah, we'll just one or two of them as well. So here's a question. Hi, Rabbi Jacobson. I come from a very normal home, Frum. I have a father and mother, and financially my father does well, Baruch Hashem. I'm a good daughter, 20 years old. I still live at home. I help out, make dinner, clean up, set up when I can, etc. Sometimes I argue with my parents when there's something I want me to do, I, they want me to do or change, and I disagree with The other day, I got into a little argument with my mother. After the argument, things were fine. The next morning, things weren't fine anymore. She told me that I was useless. I'm full of emptiness, she told me. I can't read or spell, which is true. 
I'm a bit dyslexic. She told me, at work, I do nothing. She told me, I'm a perfectionist. She told me, all the Tanya learning that I do is fake, and I don't understand. And she told me, I think I'm a big shot because I went to seminary. I nodded my head and told her she has the right to have the way she feels toward me, and I'm sorry that she, for the way she, the, that she feels this way. I bought her, I bought her followers, I bought her flowers to calm her down, but it didn't really help. After a while she calmed down, but my question for you, how do I go about after hearing such words from my mother? Like the next Shabbos, I say it, and she says, good job. It's probably fake. Or I can't imagine learning with her, even though I am not hurt or don't feel hurt. But how do I go about this? Should I take it out next week or just let it pass? Rabbi Jacobson, I would love to hear from your, from your, hear your wise words about this. As usual, and I know people get frustrated when I say this, I don't know all the details. I always like context. We always need context. If this is the only time it happened, because you describe you have a good relationship with them, so maybe there was something that day, your mother was in a very bad mood, maybe something happened. If it's consistent, it's another story. So these are important questions to answer before I advise. I'll try to talk about both scenarios. Then there's other factors. You know, what's your relationship with your mother in general besides this? From what you describe, I mean, you say very little, but what it sounds like, it sounds like a normal relationship. What about your father? I always know when there's smoke, there's fire, which means when you hear problems, especially if someone's writing about it, maybe there's more going on. Maybe. Not saying for sure. So without fully getting the, get, without getting the full picture, it's hard to really comment properly. With that said, I will say two things. Firstly, you must talk to someone that knows you, that knows the circumstances well, just to get that opinion. I know you're writing to me to talk to you, so I will say a few things, but I think someone who knows you close and knows your parents and knows your mother perhaps can give some important advice. With that said, what I will say the following. Whether to ignore it or not ignore it, it's painful words to hear from a mother. A mother is supposed to be loving. I would like to believe that your mother has also said to you beautiful things. Is it possible for you to sit down with your mother and just say, you know, I was very pained by what you said last week. Not in anger, not with anger, not with tantrum, not with accusations. I was just very hurt by what you said. You know, I'm just wondering, if there was, was there a catalyst? I mean, I always felt we have a loving relationship. I would like to hear how your mother would respond to that. Would she apologize? Would she say, I really didn't mean it all? Would she say, no, I really stand by it? That would be my natural inclination. Now, if that's not possible, then I wonder why. Why can't you do that? If your relationship with your mother is a good relationship overall, and it was just this one-time thing, then why can't that be done? And even if it's not a one-time thing, that's where I would begin. Now, if it doesn't work out well, in other words, the conversation is not going the right direction, or you feel really strongly that you can't do that, then you have to figure out why. Is your father, can, can your father be helpful here? Can you have a conversation with him? Is there siblings, older siblings, younger siblings that perhaps can help? Are there friends and neighbors or other family members, uncles, aunts? I would look. I would not ignore. Now, if it was a one-time thing completely and never hear it again, ever, yeah, 
then maybe you can just say maybe something happened to my mother today and she just, I wouldn't then dwell on it. So that's where you have to make these decisions. But this is the general approach I would suggest. Okay. Um, So there's more questions on this topic, and I will address them, but I will talk now about this one. How would you feel, how do you address teens who are apathetic towards Yiddishkeit? It's another angle toward the parent-children thing. How would you judge As a parent, it's so painful to see my child apathetic. Your child isn't happy with life, but think they know better. Any, any suggestions to get through to the teen that's struggling in that way? My house is a happy home. School is not a positive place in terms of classmates and environment. This is the Chabad community school where we go to. Okay. Again, I don't have enough information to give a full, so-called a full guidance and direction. You always want to look for, you always want to find an opening and look for something that's in common. You definitely don't want to begin with the things that are... um, are obstacles that stand in the way that you disagree with. If you see your child, for example, doing things that you don't agree with Yiddishkeit, that's not the place you want to begin in a conversation because that's immediately confrontational. So I would look for in the areas where you can find something that is beautiful about your child, where you feel you and your child can have a very good conversation. Because often when I hear this, I say to myself, does the parent have a good relationship with the child? The only issue is the Yiddishkeit. Or is the Yiddishkeit becoming a wall that's not letting you have a good relationship with your child. So that's why I think you have to remember you as a a mother or father are always the mother and father of your child. You must have a relationship with your child, period. It makes no difference whether the child is in the same place you want the child to be, Jewish-wise or not, religious-wise or not. You must have a relationship. And if you don't, obviously there's going to be more than just one problem in Yiddishkeit. There's going to be a lot of other issues. Where else does a child have except a teenager, too, needs parents? Now, if your teenager is difficult, and that's very possible. I'm not saying the parent is always the one that is the culprit. But you don't want to exacerbate the situation. If your teenager is difficult, they just don't listen, do whatever they want. As you said, they know better. You can't change a teenager. They go through these stages. A teenager is learning to become an independent self. It comes with sometimes rebellion, disruption, and things that we may be very uncomfortable with. Because they're no longer that little baby that you can just control. So you as a wise person, as an adult, who's supposed to be more seasoned, you don't want to engage in this battle, oh, my teenager wants this, and you're not a teenager. You should be thinking for two people as a parent. So you have to find, where can I find something my, my son or my daughter really enjoys? They may like music. They may like a hobby. Find something, go with them for a walk. Find something that you really can enjoy with each other. And not as a warming them up, buttering them up, so now we can talk about the Yiddishkeit. No, just have a good normal conversation. A human conversation. Do you as a parent not struggle with certain things? Fine, I'm not suggesting a parent has to tell their children everything they struggle with. But you're also human. You also have your issues and challenges. Just create a human connection. Don't allow the Yiddishkeit to become the sole connection. Are you keeping Shabbos or you davening or doing other things as much as I would like you to do it in the way I would like you to do it? I'm just using that as examples. 
or other issues. That's not where to go. Go to the integral and inherent and innate connection on the love between parent and child. Access that. Bring that to the fore. And that can preempt and heal much more than you can ever imagine and expect. So that was one question in that regard. Another question that came in that was similar vein. Thank you for your hard work. Your podcast provides comfort to me in such a profound way. Thank you. My 11-year-old son confided me in me that he has fear, that he feels he won't be religious when he grows up. What is an appropriate response? Well, we can argue just ignore it and let things go, but I wouldn't do that. If he's stating it and articulating it, it means something's happening here. Now, why he feels that way, that would be good to find out. It could be the influence of others. It could be something may have happened, inappropriate, that is like shaking him up, something coming from a religious source. It could be things like, yes, abuse, sexual molestation or other things. I'm not pointing my finger that that's always the factor, but everything has to be considered. So I would look of other shifts in his behavior, especially recently, to see, not necessarily in the religious front, just in general. Is he changing his eating habits, sleeping habits? Is he more anxious? This applies also to a girl, especially when you're 11 years old, you know, young, pretty young. I, second thing I would do, and just that look, then I would just look at it, and I wouldn't do it like a detective and investigate and grill your child. That usually has the negative effect. Second thing I would just try to find out from around, the, you know, look at the school, talk to the teacher, keep your eyes open. The second thing is maybe it's time to have a more open conversation with your child in general. Express more love. You know, many parents get so busy that their children just grow up almost on their own. Talk to your child. And I'm not saying talk and say, do you have a problem? Just express love, express validation. Be there, present. It could very well be the child is, is asking for help. Is asking, I need a little attention. That may be one of the ways he's calling out for help, consciously or, or unconsciously or subconsciously. So definitely pay more attention, get more involved. Third thing, look for things he enjoys and try to bring him. He likes something that you really think he's good at. Find things that will make him feel more valuable, more precious, more, more validated, more successful. He may be failing in certain areas. Maybe he feels weak and insecure in certain things. So bolster that confidence. And definitely talk to your husband as well, because it could be coming from either direction. It may not be that you and your husband are not doing the right thing. Why am I assuming this is a mother? I don't know why, but maybe just the tone. But whether it's a father or mother, the same idea. Make it part of your effort. Now, I would not turn this into a panic and like emergency and calling hot solo, so to speak. Because sometimes things have to be handled more in a more calm way, not in a hysterical way. So I would stay away from that. These are some thoughts. If you want to share more, I'd be happy to address this. But that's based on what I'm hearing and reading here. Okay. Now, there's more to discuss, plenty more to discuss. Oh, boy. We always run out of time. Zman. Zman. Time has its thing. Wanted to do the about the polarized country. You know what? Let me see. Can I do that?
So, I'll leave that. I'll leave some more follow-up to later for another week. What I'll do is I'm going to go straight to the Chassidus question. It's a very interesting Chassidus question this week, which is connected to Basiligani as well, so I think it's appropriate to do. Here's the Chassidus question. Is Dida Betachtenim a reason for creation that emerged only in later generations? Well, the actual question is a little more uh, blunt. Here it is. Dear Rabbi, recently someone shared a story with me about how someone, I guess, doubted the Chabad Rebbeim saying, and this is what they said, the, the ones doubting the Chabad Rebbeim. Quote, they made a whole movement out of a random medrash. The medrash, Nesav HaKadosh Baruch Baruch That God desired, purpose of creation, to have a home in this lowest of worlds. Being a Chabad Chassid myself, and the understanding behind it resonates with me very much. It makes sense to me that this is the why of why we serve Hashem. But I'd like to understand, in a sense, the question of this Yid, questioning Chabad and its foundation on this Medrash, is crucial for all Chabad Chassidim and all of Yidim to understand why is it that it took the Alter Rebbe to bring it to the forefront, this Medrash, to bring this Medrash to the forefront. It would seem to me that since the giving of the Torah, we would be given the why, as to how Hashem wants us to serve Him, with the kavana being to make a home. I guess my question is similar to this Yid. Why wasn't this Medrash at the forefront of Teda? And why did it take generations from the giving of the Teda for Chachamim to debate what the purpose of creation is? Chafetz Chesed, or actualize Hashem's Midas, or It seems like being that everything is Ashgacha Pratis, Hashem set it up this way, for us to go down the chain of understanding after many generations. What was the Tachlis HaKavana, the ultimate purpose, as to why we do mitzvahs, etc.? Not because of Chafetz Chesed, that means that God desired to do kindness, or any other reason, other than Dirabetachtenim, a home in the lowest of worlds. In summary, why did Dirabetachtenim take so many generations to come to the forefront, if it is seemingly the most essential reason as to why we do what we do? Anticipating your response, thank you. My response to this uh, provocative question. Yes, I did hear years ago that there was someone, without mentioning names, when he was approached by a chassid, a Chabad chassid, who said, Chabad did so much for you, why are you so against Chabad? And he responded that, number one, Chabad has built its whole philosophy on some obscure or random medrash, as you quoted, and secondly, why does the Rebbe not consult with others, with other G'dayli Yisrael in his initiatives and so on? So the question arrived to the, the, the this response arrived to the Rebbe. The Rebbe smiled and said, the second answer, the, second, the answer to the second question is due to the first question. Which means, of course, that somebody who feels that a medrash is random, obscure, and and secondly, questions the Alter Rebbe, a Godel Shebek Delim, a Gon Shebek Einim, Pal Hashulchanorach and Tanya. It's not worth consulting with someone who speaks that way. So, what is this? So, first of all, let me take issue with the number one statement a random medrash. What does that mean exactly? A random medrash. You can say a random posuk, 
a random medrash, what the two determines which medrash and which gemara is an ikr and which one is not. That's number one. Number two, anyone understands and looks into the medrash, you know what the medrash is talking about? The mishkin. The mishkin. It's a posik in the tale of Osuli Migdash Vishakhanti Besechem. It's just another way of saying, because the Mishkan was not built in heaven. Even though God showed Moshe Rabbeinu an image, of Esh, uh, of fire, but, that, but the Mishkan was built with physical materials, Kesev, Zovin, gold, silver, copper, etc. Materials. Shechanti Besechem, I want to rest among you. And when Shleim HaMelech said, how could the Shechina be contained in this bias? Shemayim v'shemeya shemayim le'ichal kolucha. Heavens and heaven of heavens can't contain you. Afke abayis hazeh. This little house, this sanctuary can't contain you. And Hashem said, yeah, b'nechus, exactly right. Is that also an obscure or random posuk? So you saw of everything. Shechina below. The purpose of existence in the whole Chumash is to have a lukus and godliness in this world. So besides the word random is a pure chutzpah, well, if you have a little understanding of Yiddishkeit and Teda, you immediately understand this is the whole Teda. The Medish articulates it a certain way. Besides the fact that we don't need to defend Al-Tareb, Al-Tareb is a enough going to determine, when he quotes that, that this is Tachlus Abri, that Al-Tareb was a Mechad or something. So to even suggest that the purpose of Dirba Tachtenim emerged in the, 20, in the 18th, 19th century, is ridiculous. It's called a tater kula. It's the purpose of creation from the moment that God created Breshis Baruch Lakim. What you can discuss is why Nisava Kodesh Baruch in comparison to the other reasons given, as you quote, Legal Ishlemus Kechesov, to reveal to actualize God's potential and, uh, and, and powers and uh, faculties. Or Yakiru Gdullah say that the world should recognize God's greatness. Or begin the Ishtamudin Bey in order for, the, for the, he should be known by existence. Or Chafetz Chesed, as you mentioned. So that's a discussion. Why Muqsam Kubalim went with this reason and some with this reason. But at the end of the day, especially when you understand the whole context, all the reasons are part of one picture. And the ultimate Tachlis as the Samagvov says, that those reasons are also legitimate in different levels. That the ultimate answer, because at the end of the day, why did this world was created? Not just Atsilus, not just the spiritual worlds. Here we need the Dirabatahtainim. So this is already explained by the Samachvov at length, the Rebbe Sikha in Tafshin Bayes, my modem, the Rebbe Sikha Shmois, Vayum six, second Sikha Shmois, and many more places. But, the, but, but this language is offensive, frankly. And uh, when, especially once you understand, that's every mitzvah. Every time we learn Teda, every good deed we do, we're transforming this world. That's why Matan Teda was given on earth, to turn the Gashmi Sa'ilam into a Chefza of Gdusha. You don't even need Chesidus for this. It's the Yisod of Kola Teda Kula. But that's someone who understands Kola Teda Kula. Unfortunately, some don't. This is exactly why Chesidus came. Why this is not a maflag, it's not just for a group, it's for everybody. Because exactly people who say this are missing the whole boat. They're missing the point. They're missing the purpose of existence, the purpose of creation. So they, they are the first to be able to learn a lot from the Alter Rebbe, instead of making statements of randomness and obscurity and deciding whatever they decide is what they think Torah is. And especially this is all based on sources and based on elaborate beard and explanation.
So that's how I would explain it. Now, yes, it's correct to say that just like uh, when Moshe Rabbeinu received the Torah, we didn't yet have Mishnah and Gemara written. It was Torah Shabbat Peh. Then there came the time where Mishnah was written down and Gemara was written down. Then there came a time where Kabbalah began to be taught. Mitzvah legal is a chokhmah by the Arizal. And then it continued to spread. The birth of Chassidus, Chassidus Chabad, the seven generations. So of course, all of that developed this idea, especially did it And there's reasons, everything in its time, because especially as we get closer to Mashiach and Gula, things are articulated that were known and maybe not always spelled out, but anyone who knew understood that's the purpose of existence, is to create a, a physical home for the divine, and B'Seichem should reside among us. So that's the general response to this. Let me conclude, time is limited, with the sixth annual My Life Chassidus Applied Essay and Creative Contest, which I'm going to just do the... Last week we didn't even have time to do that, so this week I'm going to do that right now, which is the, 13, the 12th place winners, I should say. One uh, essay in English, the, the, top essay, the 12th place essay in Hebrew by man, men, the 12th place essay by women in Hebrew, and the creative submission. So here we go. The essay in English, they didn't change their names, their language, or their address. Staying strong to who we are despite our surroundings. By Mushka Cohen, age 16, student, based Rivka, Montreal, Canada. And exactly as the name implies, staying strong with our identity, Jewish identity and personality, as we learn from the Jews in Mitzrayim, who did not change their names and their language and their address. The first, uh, the 12th spot, spot essay in Hebrew men, Pizur HaNefesh. Pizur HaNefesh means when we are scattered and fragmented in so many different directions, especially in our time. What can we do about it? Using chassidus to create focus and to create emphasis and to pri- prioritize. This is by Mr. Meir Ha'itan, Jerusalem, Israel. The essay in Hebrew by women, the 12th place, Binyan HaChinuch Esek Mishpachti Matzliach which means education being a holistic thing that the whole family is involved in, and that's where really it succeeds, not as an isolated or compartmentalized activity. By Chana, Chanala Gufchi, educator Kiryat Malachi, Israel. And finally, the creative is called Infusion. It's a creative art piece, oil on canvas, by Rivki Teichman, age 20, Shlucha at Machon Altetzvat, who lives in, she lives in Crown Heights, New York. So infusion, talk, taking the concept of infusion in a very beautiful way, describing how we integrate and how we transform the matter into spirit in a beautiful painting. So now, the English essay and the creative can be seen at chassidusapply.com, right at the homepage. Look, at, look for the contest and you'll see all the submissions. The Hebrew essays are another site for, exclusively for Hebrew called diralo.org. And with that, we conclude episode 341 of My Life Citizen Supplied. We're here every Sunday, 8 to 9 p.m. Everyone should have a very continuing, from the 70th year of Yud give us Kayach, a continuing Chedesh Shvat, powerful Chedesh Shvat, finishing the last shreds of our battles that we need to fight in this Golos and bring the Geula. Freilich and Tubishvat going into Beshalach. Asa'am, by you so, move forward, forge ahead. Be well.
be healthy, continue to be matzliach in the spreading of your futsum and nesecha chutzah. Till we bring the Gula Osimar Domalka Mashiach. Thank you. This program is brought to you by My Life, Hasidus Applied. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at hasidusapplied.com slash donate.